Greetings and good day. This is Tabitha. Welcome to White Wellness Radio. Today, July 6, 2022, broadcasting out of New York, of course, for White Wellness Radio. That song right there was Bananarama with Cruel Summer way back in 1983. So today is broadcast Summer Sexy, hence the song Cruel Summer by Bananarama. So I've got a lot of groovy topics for today's broadcast. I'm going to be talking about 
a lot of things, a lot of wellness things from, of course, a racialist or Aryan perspective. So to kick off the show, like I usually like to do, the word of the week. Let's see. Shuffle up these cards a little bit. All right. This one seems okay. All right. This is a funny word. Scaramouch. S-C-A-R-A. M-O-U-C-H, scaramouch. From the 17th century, this term has indicated a lazy, swaggering coward. Based on a character from early Italian comedy who was often pummeled for his knavish actions, the word is a verb meant to act in such a manner. The meaning of what later became skirmish was soon brought into include encounters between groups of soldiers. Shakespeare used the expression, quote, skirmish of wit in 1599 to indicate verbal confrontation. In the 19th century, rugby term scrummage and the related American football term scrimmage are other modern adaptations. So that's where we get those modern words from this 17th century word, scaramouch. Pretty cool. And I guess there are many humans these days that have a lazy, swaggering, um, cowardice to them. I think that's what uh, what Big Z would want for everyone, right? Think about it. People who were just not really full of vril or courage. That's exactly what would behoove Zog. But of course, we're not going to allow that to happen. Not going to allow that to happen at all. Not to give in to any of their sludge out there because gosh, there's so much out there to always deter us and always get us away from our thing, right? It's bad enough to be derailed perhaps by, you know, other things in your life, like your personal life, but then people tend to get derailed by, you know, the consensus. I just, I don't know, I find it so zoggling that anyone could take anything that's in the uh, news or alt news or even in the radical news, like seriously at this point anymore. I don't allow any of it to affect me personally. It just comes in and it goes out. And that's kind of the way it should be. Should we be aware? Certainly. Should we let it ruin our day? Absolutely not. So a little bit of housekeeping. So um, before we get uh, ready for the show, I just wanted to mention that I no longer have the post office box, which I had had for about a year. I decided to um, cancel the post office box. So that's no longer something I have. But I still, of course, have the crypto. I think it's the Bitcoin. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I have the Patreon. So if you're inclined to donate or correspond with me, there are always other ways to do about that. It would have been rad to keep the post office box and just go about things like from like a, a 90s perspective. And, you know, a lot of me is still in the 90s. I still kind of resonate with a lot of that vibe. But I figured just moving forward, it was more practical just to have, you know, the Patreon and the, and the other things. So that's what I have thus far. Uh, so no more post office box. And something else I just wanted to share. I saw this over at um, the old network, and I think it's about me. But I just wanted to make a point about... Um, something that was said about me, which certainly isn't true. And also just a little bit about how I think that a lot of people, especially when you're in this capacity to be doing this type of stuff, you know, doing a show like this, you know, it takes, 
it takes oomph. It takes a lot of mitochondria, a lot of energy to do a broadcast like this. I'm not complaining, of course. I, I enjoy doing it, and I know you listening enjoy it too. If I didn't enjoy it, I probably wouldn't do it. And if you didn't enjoy listening to it, you probably wouldn't listen to it, right? But I think oftentimes when people focus so heavily on the black pilling, which I've been recently calling like AIDS pilling, because it almost feels like that, even though, of course, we know that AIDS is an energy issue caused by toxicity and malnutrition and, you know, promiscuity and amyl nitrate and AZT. Not really talking about that from the literal perspective of, you know, AIDS, but I think oftentimes people will get super burnt out just taking in all of this really kind of, I guess, dire is the best way to describe it, this dire information that I think is put out there just to make us feel hopeless and helpless, worthless, to make us almost become mentally ill, even though I really don't believe in the whole idea of mental illness, I believe in kind of more, you know, constellations from the dramatic new medicine perspective or, you know, emotional dysregulation or traumas, but whatever word or language you want to utilize, it, it really doesn't matter. It's kind of all the same thing. I'm just kind of, the more I move through life, getting away from these Western ways, Talmudic rather, Western parenthesis triple, Wilson talking about things because I really feel that we could do a lot with our words, right? Think about all the magic, black magic, Talmudic black magic, that was happening over the last couple of years with people using the C word, not cunt or cancer, to refer to Oyedei. You know, that that's magic, right? It's like in those films when people would say Candyman three times or Beetlejuice. I don't participate in Talmudic magic. I, I just don't. So there's a lot to be said for how we say things and also what we take in. And of course, being the um, conglomerate sum of the five people we spend the most amount of time with, whether that's IRL or online. So I had seen something over at the other network. Someone had written, honestly, man, the other quote truth podcast. I don't consider this a truth podcast, uh, whatever, though, anyway, that's kind of like a, a low vibe way to refer to yourself as a quote truther or a truth podcast. Anyway, honestly, man, the other quote truth podcasts and channels accompanying uh, compared to the American National Radio Network, all they talk about is positivity, cooking, yoga and pacifism. It makes my skin crawl. Okay. Um, yes, we do talk about positivity over here. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm assuming this is directed towards me because I don't know anybody else who's doing a podcast that's racial is talking about these things. So I'm going to assume it's directed towards me. Cooking. Yeah, we talk a lot about that over here, but cooking is an amazing thing. You've got to cook your own food in this world to be healthy. And of course, positivity begets doing healthy things like cooking and yoga. And these are all preparations. Remember, we're in a spiritual war. We're not just going to sit on the couch or sit in front of the computer and take in all this AIDS pilling information, feel like shit, look like shit, act like shit. And then all of a sudden, when it's Rahoa time, we're going to just, you know, grab our weapons and go, th go for it. Uh, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, obviously. But I talk about these things because this is part of our preparation, right? And also it's part of living a good spiritual life. And having spiritual preparation is really a big part of everything that's going on. Even if we weren't facing what we were facing right now, we still need spiritual preparation. People needed spiritual pre preparation decades ago, centuries ago, right? It's just part of what you need when you're living you know, on this plane. And the pacifism thing was what really got me to wanting to share this and speak about it. I have never 
referred to myself as a pacifist. I'm not a pacifist. Just because I don't do a broadcast where I use a lot of vitrolic language, especially directed towards, you know, maybe majorities or, you know, oives, and just because I'm not, you know, screaming and shouting and, you know, calling for all types of um, physical violence or action, doesn't mean that I agree with a pacifistic uh, ideology. I never referred to myself as a pacifist. I don't know why anyone would think that I was, but it just goes to show that when people are in such a hole of degradation and all this AIDS pilling, they want to believe that people who are doing doing what I would consider to be your best, you know, optimizing, getting out there in any which way. I don't mean getting out there doing actives. I mean getting out there living your life and doing the things that spiritually nourish you. I think other people who have already been dwindled down by the skexis, by all that AIDS pilling, assume that someone like me is a pacifist when I'm I'm definitely not, um, like I said, never made any claims to be that. But then again, I'm a bit wiser than to do a broadcast and just start using all types of, you know, foul language and and the quote fed posting type of stuff. I'm not going to do that. It's not my style. I think that you could always catch more flies with honey than vinegar. So just wanted to bring that up that it seems like, again, there's like more of this extreme perspective going on, either like, you know, you're high on positivity and you're cooking and doing yoga and you're a pacifist or it's like complete AIDS pill and you're just, you know, wallowing in addictions and, you know, I don't know, Chick-fil-A or whatever people do. I don't even know, honestly. But just to say there's there's always more of a middle ground and the things that I'm talking about are not really an extreme. This is a radical centrist perspective. I don't really like extremes. I don't like extremes because that's what the enemy promotes. I mean, look what they do in the Zio media with body types. That's just one example of extreme. Diets, um, quote, religion and spirituality. I mean, look at even what we have with all the terrible degeneracy and then we have this kind of swing for people to kind of like embrace what they believe to be traditionalism, which is really just Talmudicism. They might as well call it that. Whenever I see the word traditionalism, I don't think of, of bone marrow and, and things like that and, you know, uh, living off the land and walking barefoot. I think of Talmudicism because that's what it is. So just wanted to point that out because it, it, it slightly bothered me that that was said about me. Not like I gave it any thought and I lost sleep over it, but not a pacifist, um, not promoting like kumbaya, like peace and love type of thing. Remember the peace sign is the uh, life rune turned upside down. Um, I'm promoting that we optimize ourselves spiritually. This is a show to give us nourishment, hopefully a little bit of entertainment as well. And, and also just to kind of, you know, feel like, oh, okay, familiar voice. It's nice to hear someone talk about these things. I don't feel so darn alone. You know, most people in my real life are, you know, totally buying into the Zio sludge that's out there in the mainstream media and the alt media. This show is not supposed to be something that you leave the show and you feel, you know, like suicidal or you feel fucking terrible. Like, I mean, how would I, how would I be able to continue doing shows if that's how I was creating the aura and putting that energy out there? I think that one of the major problems with this quote movement or whatever it is, is this way of thinking is that a lot of people are just still so stuck in the Talmudic paradigm. They don't have to be Extian. It's not even about that. That's part of it, but it's not about it in a whole way. They are so, so stuck in these stale, completely exo, uh, eso rather, excuse me, no, exoteric 
outward kind of paradigms that they can't even fathom this inner spiritual world or that they have power over their choices and somewhat over their reality. And then they like to shit on someone who's trying to create some type of real change. So they can go fuck themselves. Okay, that was the end of that. Let's move on to some better and more appetizing topics. So I've got a lot of groovy stuff to talk about for today's broadcast. I want to talk about the chakras. I want to talk about summer fruit. I want to talk about some sex drive tips for men. I know we talk a lot about women in the sexual sense, but I want to talk for some tips for the hunks because it's always about both of us. It's that, you know, that beautiful union of, of both sexes together. I want to talk about all these sexual wellness scams that are out there. There's all this Zio sludge. It's all, all, all over the place, 24-7, nonstop, nonstop. Remember, they live, uh, you sleep, just like the film talks about, right? So let's take a uh, gander at the chat. Okay, we've got some humans in the chat. We've got 6-4 Aryan. We've got uh, F1 Grid, OG Snake Eyes, uh, DM, DWM11, and Epiphany. Welcome, everybody. OG is saying, hello, friends. Epiphany is saying, hello. I missed the beginning. I was feeding the dogs. Oh, no worries. That's what the, uh, the archived version of the show is for, right? So let's get into it, talking a little bit about summer fruit, something that this is the peak time to be eating these delicious foods, right? So let's talk a little bit about this. And maybe you'd like to be eating these fruits. Maybe you're already eating them. Oh, wait, oops, I shouldn't be talking about this, right? This is uh, making people's skin crawl, hearing about food that we can eat that'll make us healthy, that's seasonal, that's connected to our ancestors. Better not spend too much time talking about this type of stuff, right? I should just be AIDS pilling everyone, talking about the Zio doom and gloom. Oh, probably isn't even true anyway, right? I should be wasting my time doing that. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about some wondrous summer fruits. And I'm reading from a book that I've used before on the broadcast, Rustic Fruit Desserts, Crumbles, Buckles, Cobblers, Pandowdies, and more. And I used this book, I think, in the fall time, in the autumn, when I was talking about what all those antiquated desserts that I just read off are. So if you're interested in more of this information, you can just go into the archives and find that broadcast. Okay, so here are some of the top summer fruits. Blueberries, of course, are one of the awesome foods. They have a deep purple-blue color, um, not reddish when they're super ripe. Uh, make sure they're not withered or crushed. They'll keep ripe when you buy them and they will not continue to ripen. They're best stored refrigerated, unwashed, and uncovered. And they tend to keep a lot longer than, say, like raspberries and, you know, other types of stuff that goes sour a lot quicker. I find when I get home from the market, this is a good tip for like raspberry or blackberries, I will take them and I will take them out of the clamshell and I'll put a paper towel down in like a glass Pyrex container and I'll pour the berries out. Strawberries too. I learned this tip from my dad actually years ago. And it will keep it so much fresher than when they're all on top of each other in that clamshell. Then you end up getting like, you know, one that's got fur all over it. And then you got to get rid of the ones surrounding the fur. So a good tip. I don't do this with blueberries because they don't really need to be done. But you definitely could do it. Is just to put them, like I just said, with the paper towel in the glass container. And don't wash them. Wash them when you're going to use them. But yeah, blueberries are an awesome uh, fruit to have. They're also really good, I find, if you mix them with melon. Like if you want to do cantaloupe, honeydew, watermelon, and then you throw some blueberries in, that's a rad fruit salad. Something else that we don't see too much in the market, especially in my area, would be red currants, actually. 
or also they have white and pink currants as well. They make stunning desserts. They have a mouth puckering, sour type of feel. Typically we see these more dry. They look like little tiny raisins and they're used to make things like scones. So red, white, and pink currants have round, shiny, translucent berries, whilst the black currants are a matte blackish purple. The best way I know if they're ripe is to try them. Avoid them that have been off for a while because they get nice and they get wrinkly and they're going to be, you know, used for, for, uh, for dried utilization. And they can be stored in a sealed container in the fridge, just like I just spoke of, and they will keep for about one week. Now on to some delicious stone fruits. Summer is really the season for stone fruit, and you might ask yourself, what's a stone fruit? Peach, nectarine, apricot, plum, pluot. Of course, a pluot is a hybrid, but these are all stone fruits. Even a cherry is actually a stone fruit. It's not a berry, contrary to similar um, what people typically think it is. So for peaches, plums, or for peaches, nectarines, and apricots, use your nose to discern if it is ripe or not. If it has an intoxicating aroma, that indicates that it's ripe. Smooth, unblemished skin is also a good sign for the stone fruit. Avoid any that have bruises or brown spots. And although the orange rose blush is enticing, do not go by color alone. So you can't just say, oh, it's got a great color, it's good to go. You also want to make sure, of course, like I said, the smell is good, that it has no blemishes. And if the fruit is heavy for its size, means it's going to be a really nice, juicy peach, nectarine, or apricot. And never refrigerate these until they are ripe and enjoy them within a few days. And I have found historically that fresh apricots never seem to be that great. They always have a little bit of like a mealy texture to them. So typically I will enjoy apricots more dried if I am going to be eating them. Or maybe I guess you could cook them and that would kind of cut some of the mealiness. So plums, on the other hand, should be firm. The peach, nectarine, apricot, you want them to give when you press with your finger, like your thumb. But the plums should be firm. Be cautious if they look like water balloons. They are probably past their peak, so they're going to be overripe. They might even be a touch fermented. Color is not an indicator of ripeness for the plum. Plum comes in, Plums come in every color available. For example, the Shiro plum is bright yellow. The Santa Rosa plum is red. Italian prune plums, also called the Empress plum, are a bluish purple. Avoid them if they're bruised or discolored or have soft spots or shriveled skin. If they have a white film on the outside, that's called bloom. It's totally harmless. It's just nature's mechanism for waterproofing the surface. So you know, groovy nature technology right there. Ripe plums will yield to gentle pressure. Firm plums can be ripened at home in a paper bag, just like many of things can, like avocados and things like that. Because each variety varies in sweetness and juice, the best way to choose the variety to buy is to ask if you can sample them at the store. And refrigerate ripe plums in a bag or loosely covered with plastic wrap or cling film and utilize them within three days. Up next is a pluot, and you might wonder actually what that is. A pluot is three quarters apricot and one quarter plum. So it's miscegenated fruit, essentially. But then again, all the fruits that we eat currently, and essentially most of the vegetables, they're all um, hybridized. If you look at old photos of, of um, what avocados used to look back in the day, it was this humongous pit with like a very teeny amount of flesh around it. So pluots look like plums with speckled skin and are sometimes called dinosaur eggs due to their appearance. Maybe you've seen it at the store with that cute little dino sticker on them. When you find pluots, you may also find what's known as an aprium. An aprium is also 
three quarters apricot, one quarter plum, but similar to an apricot on the outside. And then you also might see something called a plum cot, which is half apricot, half plum, and they smell like an apricot, but taste like a plum. So we have a couple of different hybrids here. I don't think I've seen the aprium before. I've definitely had the pluots and I've had the plum cots. So all of these hybrid fruits should be firm and juicy, like plums, refrigerate, um, and use within three days. And finally, some berries. And I'm naming these differently than blueberries because blueberries are kind of like their own thing when the, the seeds are encompassed in the blueberry. But then you have things like raspberry, blackberry, boysenberry, and, and other things like cane berries. These have the seeds like little, you know, little dots all around. And you can almost like make it into like a thimble and, you know, put one on your finger if it's, if it's large enough or your finger's small enough. So more than 50 varieties of berries are actually grown in Oregon. This book is kind of written with kind of like a, a slant towards um, Oregon. In addition to red raspberries and blackberries, you will also find what's known as black raspberries. You'll find them here too in the Northeast, known as black caps, boysenberries, which are a reddish purple blackberry with a hint of raspberry, uh, ol olalai berries, which is a cultivated berry that's two-thirds blackberry and one-third raspberry, marionberry is another blackberry cultivar, Loganberries, a cross between a blackberry and a red raspberry, tay berries, and many other varieties that are all unique and delectable. Berries are fragile and age quickly after being picked. Check carefully under the top layer of berries in the basket to ensure the berries underneath are not crushed or moldy. If you are picking the berries yourself, you can do what I said prior, just put them into a flat container and don't pile them too high, otherwise they'll get crushed. Berries should be plump and shiny. If they are watery, wrinkly, or dull, they may be past their prime. Refrigerate them and use them as soon as possible. They do not last long once picked. And of course, if you're not going to eat them fresh, you could always make sauces with them. You can make, you know, cobblers and um, galettes and crisps and crumbles and pies and all this type of stuff with them. So just a little bit there about some fun summer fruits. Um, that are very much, you know, local this time, not just local, but very much seasonal. Again, to recap, blueberries, currants, peaches, nectarines, apricots, plums, pluots, apriums, plumcots, and raspberry, blackberry, boysenberry, and all the others. So it's always nice to be taking advantage of what's in season. You'll save yourself money, and you will also be getting something that is peak so this is the time to be eating those. And then, you know, in a couple of months when things change, it'll be different. And before you know it, it'll be apple season and, you know, pear season and citrus season. But right now it's the time to eat stone fruit and berries. 6-4 Arian is saying, I work outside in the summer. The best thing to eat during a heat spell is fresh cut fruit. And yeah, that definitely can help, especially if you need it to kind of hydrate and you're in the heat. And of course, if you're thinking about it from like a TCM or traditional Chinese perspective, fruit is yin, summer is the youngest season of the year. So it would, it would make sense that when we're in that intense yang and an intense heat, we would want something yin and cooling, right? And of course, everyone has a little bit of a different bent on what works for them based on their race their age, their sex, where they live, what their constitution is. But in general, these are the seasonal fruits for this time of year. Epiphany is saying she loves apricots and peaches. Yeah, I like those too. I like, 
I've always liked stone fruit. I think cherry is probably my favorite stone fruit, actually, but I like it all. I think it's all really good stuff. And then something else I wanted to mention, which I've been getting dried as a fruit, but I really like them. And they're called jujubes, or we could say it slowly and kind of get a chuckle and call them jujubes. And it's spelled J-U-J-U-B-E-S. And this is, I guess you'd say it was, is it a berry? I think it's a berry. Let me see. I'm not actually totally sure. I've been using these dried actually lately, putting them, you wouldn't believe it, in chicken stock, believe it or not. Um, oh, it's a red date. Okay, so it's not a date like maybe the brown ones, like you've seen like what they call the medjool dates in the store. It's different than that. It's very different than those like kind of, you know, Iranian or Persian dates, which are tasty in their own right. But these are known as red dates or Chinese dates. And they have a lot of medicinal benefits. They're really high in vitamin C to start out. They have a chewy, kind of like caramelly, almost like fluffy texture to them. And they're used to make um, like soup broth. You put them in like broths for soup, which maybe sounds like kind of weird to some people. But look, you put a carrot in soup or, you know, an onion or something like that. And they actually will exude all their groovy essence into the soup. And what are some of the things that they actually do? Well, they will promote youthful skin. They help with, um, with hair, you know, having nice, healthy hair. They can combat the formation of, of acne or skin problems. They can support um, weight loss. They can help with alleviating stress or anxiety. They are uh, thought to be um, anti-carcinogenic. They can fight inflammation. They can boost the, quote, immune system or support system. They can also help with uh, cognitive decline as well as uh, insomnia and things of that nature. So they're really great. And they're also thought to build blood uh, and things like that and be good for the liver, the spleen, and the kidneys, which is all kind of the way, you know, TCM or traditional Chinese medicine works, like thinking about those organs. We don't really think about that too much in allopathy. In allopathy, it seems to be more of, um, I guess, the heart. The heart is really the main organ in allopathy. And of course, you know, we can't live without it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about our hearts, but that is like the main the main focus, and in things like TCM, the kidneys are actually the most important organ. They're thought to be the door to life. And when people get on on their years and get you know older, oftentimes they will have signs and symptoms that they're dealing with a kidney deficiency, whether it's a yin deficiency or a yang deficiency, or you could actually even have deficiency of both. So these jujubes are a great thing, not just for people who are getting older, but for people who want to keep their their youth and their vitality. I mean, every single day there's a new psyop and a new snare that's looking to hoover our energy and our vitality, right? So these can be eaten in many different ways. You can eat them as is. Uh, they can be utilized in candies, eaten as a snack, make a, tea, a syrup um, and sweeten tea with it, make a vinegar, make a just like a beverage with it. You can puree them and add them to soup. I just will put them in soup and then just, you know, almost like a tea bag and just kind of take them out when I'm done simmering. Well, it's not a soup, it's a chicken stock at that point. And then I'll just give them to my birds. But they also help um, with reducing belly fat, supposedly, as well. So that's not just what I mean. This, I said before they aided in, um, I think I said they aided in weight loss. I believe I said that. Um, 
I did supports weight loss, but I think they also help with belly fat, which seems to be a problem for a lot of people, especially as they get older. Of course, that could be tied to excess uh, cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So these are really a medicinal fruit, and it's pretty groovy to think that so many of our foods can actually be just medicinal, but also amazingly tasty. So like I said before, they help with cognitive um, function, you know, mental health and brain function. They're good for blood pressure. They can help with blood flow and blood quality. They can help with vasodilation. Um, they have powerful antioxidants, you know, vitamin C and things like that. Improved digestive health. They can... Uh, help um, people who are dealing with constipation or things like uh, IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. The pectin in them is actually helpful if um, someone's dealing with diarrhea. They can help with a cough. They have an enzyme called bromelain, which is also in pineapple, which has been found to reduce phlegm and mucus so it can clear their respiratory pathways as well as the sinus. They're also good for um, helping with bone health because they have heaps of minerals and things that you don't really see too much being talked about. There's manganese, there's copper, there's potassium, magnesium, which are all essential to healthy bones. It's not just calcium, which is essential to bones. It's all these other things that we really don't hear about. It detoxifies the blood. Uh, it's anti-aging. So a lot of things it can really it can really help with, which is um, really pretty awesome. And I've been noticing more just talking to people who are older and, you know, reading and doing research that one of the most important things as you get older is not just making sure that you've got like, you know, your kidneys are in good order. And I don't just mean like not, you know, pissing like a racehorse. I mean, like taking care of taking care of them. We did a show. I did a show. Not we. I did a show a while ago talking about the kidneys and how we can protect them so you can go back and listen to that show, but also keeping our blood good, keeping our circulation good. I've noticed as people get older, and even with the young people, it's not even older anymore. Everyone's fucked up these days. Not to say that that's a, you know, a jab at anyone in particular, because it's not. But I'm just saying everyone's, there's all these things going on, you know, snare, snare, snare all the time. But keeping our blood good and keeping our circulation good is one of the most important things, especially as people get older, because blood tends to get thick and sludgy. And it's not just from food. Food is part of it, right? But it also can be from holding on to toxic emotions, being really angry, right? Holding on to that intensity, like that, like the expression that makes my blood boil, right? So this food, this B, is good for detoxifying the blood. It's just something to think about. And it makes a chicken broth taste good. You may think it's like super weird to be adding fruit to chicken stock, but it tastes amazing. I've been adding like a few of these to chicken stock as well as uh, longan berry, which is another, um, I guess it's kind of that name is, I guess, considered like a Chinese name for it. I forget what else they're called, but they look kind of like lychee um, when they're fresh, but I buy them dry. Also really good for the blood. Sometimes I'll even add goji berries and it adds like a really nice thing. Like you wouldn't just think of adding fruit to, to stock, but it's really, really nice. They're also a source of folic acid as well as zinc. So they're good for pregnancy and, and prenatal. Uh, of course, excessive intake should be avoided, especially if pregnant. Of course, you know, everything in balance, right? Everything balanced, radical centrist perspective, just a little bit there about um, jujubes. Um, and right here for 100 grams of them, you get 
pretty good amounts, like you know, not humongous amounts, but you know, it's all about building throughout the day with what you eat, but they have calcium, copper, a little bit of iron, magnesium, manganese, phosphorus, and potassium. And if you're wondering where can I get these, these sound really groovy, you can procure them on Amazon Primate. That's where I got mine. I'm sure they're available other places as well, but that's where I found them. And what I do is I just put like, I don't know, four in like a pot of chicken stock. And then I cook the chicken stock for, I think, you know, two hours or so. I wouldn't, two to three hours. I wouldn't cook. Here's another thing, another side note, but I'll mention it because it's very important. I wouldn't cook my stocks any more than two or three hours because after that point, if the bones of the animal have like, let's say something in them, like heavy metals, like lead, for example... I wouldn't cook them any longer than three hours, two or three hours. I usually do more like two or sometimes two and a half because then those heavy metals could leach into the broth. And of course, you always want to use more of the joint bones. That's going to be cartilaginous and gelatinous to get that wiggle jiggle broth. If you use the long bones, like the shanks and the, mar and the marrow bones, those are going to be very high in an iron, like too much iron. We want some, little bit, but we don't want like to, you know, go hog wild on it. So I would always recommend using more of the joint bones. And also one of the benefits of making it yourself is not just that you know what's in it. You, you could add your jujubes to it or your langan or your gojis or whatever you want to do. When you buy these broths in the store, you cannot guarantee that they haven't been simmered for hours because now the trend is like, oh, I'm simmering it for 12 hours. I'm simmering it for 24. I'm, I'm con continuously simmering it in my slow cooker or Instapot like for fucking days on end. Well, then you're just going to be eating heavy metals at that point. You know, I mean, you're not really doing yourself any favors. And when you're buying it in the store, you don't know because typically they're not telling you that or maybe they are and they're touting it as like some amazing thing. But of course, it's always best to make our own things because even if we think something is healthy from the store, they may be doing something that they think is healthy that really isn't healthy. Like all these Amish farms that think, you know, giving their chickens like heaps of flax and chia is like healthy for the bird, right? So you know, a lot of these quote health trends, and sadly, a lot of them are coming from the Weston A. Price Foundation. And I don't think these are traditional practices that you know, the primitive cultures that Dr. Price went to see did these things. I think it's just a bastardization of what we think is healthy and ancestral, um, which is which happens all over the place all the time. That's why we always, always to like, you know, check it through our own lens and, and make sure it really it really adds up and makes sense before we try something. So just a side note there, talking about jujubes, talking about fruit, but just a side note that um, you want to be careful where you're sourcing your broth from because you could be, you know, eating heavy metals like lead and stuff like that. So just something I wanted to to put out there so people can be aware of um, possibly, you know, getting a broth that might not be so healthy for them. And yeah, try the jujubes. They are um, tasty and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. 6-4 Aaron is saying chicken stock equals gentle boil for three hours. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. That's that's pretty much what I do. And recently I've been making this really good one. I've been um, making this medicinal broth with a silky, which is a black chicken. It actually is black. Like it's black all the way through. The skin is black. The flesh is black. Well, it's more like a grayish black and it gets kind of lighter as you cook it. It's almost kind of like, it's very interesting. When I did a show, I do plenty of these shows, but... I was talking about the biology difference between, you know, whites and blacks and actually blacks have like 
not just black skin, but like black muscle. So it's very much like the silkies, like everything looks different, like inside, inside the body. Like, how come we never hear about this stuff? Wouldn't it be good if we all knew these things, right? But anyway, the silky chicken is this special varietal of chicken that has, you know, a blackish flesh and black skin. And it's medicinal. It's very, very medicinal. And actually the chickens, when you see them, when they're, you know, out and about and they're alive, they have this poofy kind of weird looking coat that's very different. It isn't just like feathery the way that birds typically are. And this is a very medicinal chicken. You can make all different types of um of uh, soups with it after you make the stock, but I've been making this medicinal soup with the black silky chicken, which I add like the jujubes and the longan uh, berry, and it's really, really delicious. It makes a bit of a darker broth. Keep in mind when you use the jujubes, you're gonna get like a goldeny red broth, especially if you use it with the silky chicken, you'll get like a red looking chicken broth, but it's, it's so delicious. And you know, be adventurous. You know, food is a beautiful thing. Um, it's nice to be adventurous with food in this regard. Like, is it good to be adventurous, you know, eating things like fast takeaway? That's not really being adventurous. That's just being lazy, at least I think. But um, try try these different fruits. Try these long gone berries and try this, this these, um, everyone knows what goji berries are probably already, but try these jujubes. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with these and it's it's nice to try new things especially if they're healthy and I think also that this flavor would be very pleasing to youngsters as well so it could even be a way to get maybe youngsters to eat things like bone broth and stuff because it's a little on the sweet side and typically children like you know naturally sweet things like fruits and squash and stuff like that so it could be a good thing to get into um, children nutrition wise as well and of course for adults also so I think we'll take a small little break right now i'm going to play another song and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about sexual wellness and the best foods for men and chakras and all that stuff so i am tabitha you're listening to summer sexy on white wellness radio and we'll be right back right after this song strawberries cherries and an angel's kiss in spring my summer wine is really made from all these things I walked in town on silver spurs the jingle too a song that I had only sang to just a few she saw my silver spurs and said, let's pass some time, and I will give to you some more wine, oh, some more wine. Strawberries, cherries, and an angel's kiss in spring, my summer wine is really Not speak. 
was Summer Wine with Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood, 1966. And this is Sexy Summer. Actually, no, it's uh, it's Summer Sexy. White Wellness Radio, I'm your host, Tabitha. I'm actually drinking some Summer Wine right now. I've got some South African Sauvignon Blanc, actually one of my favorite white wines when I do drink white wine. So I got a little bit of this going on, whilst I broadcast. The brand is called Indaba. Good stuff. I like those kind of uh, nice perky citrus grapefruit notes that Sauvignon Blanc has. So I'm having a little bit of wine while we're doing this little broadcast right now called Summer Sexy. And 6-4 Arian is saying, blueberries and cherries in my homemade summer sausage is delightful, especially paired with mild cheese. That sounds wonderful. Are you using pork to make that sausage? I'm assuming it's probably a pork-based sausage, but that sounds really nice. Getting that nice hint of fruit and think about just looking back from our ancestral perspectives before we had you know the advent of potatoes coming from peru into you know um white western civilization or you know white civilization before grains were a widespread thing oftentimes we would get a lot of our carbohydrates from 
cooked fruits and squashes and roots and even a little bit with like, you know, ciders and meads and honey and maple syrup. So it's very ancestral food for us, especially blueberries and cherries, which are temperate, you know, temperate fruits. You know, many of us having roots in the temperate climate, if we're thinking about it from more of a, you know, macrobiotic perspective, it makes total sense that we would still feel, you know, very much attached and very, very happy eating these foods. 64 Aaron is saying he uses pork and wild game. That sounds like a really wonderful mix right there. You probably get like the fattiness from the pork and um, some other qualities from the wild game. That's awesome. So we're back on the broadcast and now I want to talk a little bit about um, more of this kind of sexual wellness type of stuff. I want to give some tips for men actually. What foods men can particularly eat that will benefit them and just some eating ideas for men because we're very different, contrary, contrary to what the Xylosludge media tells us that we're all the same. Sex is just a spectrum. You could be born with a penis, but you're really a female. That's, um, that's not how it goes, obviously. So sad to think that youth are being uh, brain poisoned to believe this type of stuff. Crazy. So contrary to popular opinion, men and women are very different creatures. Whilst they share many similarities of biology, important differences in the structure of their brains and the powerful impact of their hormonal and sexual makeups cause them to experience very different realities in the realm of consciousness. These differences also require that they eat somewhat different foods and adopt different eating habits. Now, of course, this would be considered bigotry currently in 2022. This book, which I'm reading from, uh, was published... Back in a more normal time, this was published in 1983. I remember those times, 1983. Foods for Health and Healing, Remedies and Recipes Based on the Teachings of Yogi Bhajan. So that's the book that I'm reading. I've had this book for quite some time. It's a slim little book. It's got a couple of recipes and just some, some good information. Of course, you know, you've got to pick and choose to see what resonates with you. But I, I like this book. So before a man eats, four conditions should be met. First, he should be surrounded by a calm and quiet atmosphere. Second, he should be free of any mental or physical pressure. Third, the food he is about to eat should be properly prepared from proper ingredients. And last, there should be enough time for him to eat gracefully. And I know in the modern world, oftentimes these aren't um, available or feasible, especially if one's on the road, if one's at their job. I totally get it. I'm just giving an idea right now of what would be optimal. So calm and quiet atmosphere free of any mental or physical pressure, eating properly prepared food with proper ingredients, and there should be enough time for the man to eat gracefully as opposed to just having to scarf his food down. So a little bit right there. And then it goes on to say that one of the biggest causes of sexual dysfunction for men is a habit of filling their stomachs more than three-quarter full at mealtime. And that could actually cause um, impotency or being impotent, actually. So if men are overeating all the time, that could actually cause them to be impotent, believe it or not. And the worst thing a man can do to his health is to engage in sexual intercourse after eating a heavy meal. And yeah, that's kind of a mood killer. Isn't it weird that in this culture, we're always told like, you know, it's a dinner date and people go out and maybe they drink too much alcohol and they eat this like this rich restaurant meal and then they're supposed to be like ready for intercourse. Like it's... They should actually have the intercourse first and then go out and have the meal and the wine. But I think oftentimes the meal and the wine is kind of the currency for the intercourse, as, as sad as that is. I've heard stories before of women who would go out with a guy, 
go to a fancy restaurant and just basically date the guy just to get the meal. Like they didn't even want to hang out with the person, probably just had sex with them because they felt bad that the guy paid for the food. It's a total horror show. But they were just doing that to get the opportunity to eat at these like fancy, you know, chic and posh restaurants, like, you know, the major cities like Manhattan or Los Angeles. I remember reading about this years ago and laughing and thinking like, why? Like, why? If I wanted a really good meal, I would just cook it myself. Like, I wouldn't like I wouldn't do something like that. First of all, I wouldn't lead someone on. And secondly, I wouldn't sell myself for filet mignon. It's fucking crazy. But anyway, so, yeah, it's best to uh, not eat a humongo meal and then, you know, engage in sexual activity. Having sex after eating too much can ruin your stomach. And if you do it often, it can actually lead to premature ejaculation. Probably something that most people don't know. The sexual act is a very heavy exercise and involves all your muscles, your mind, and your entire nervous system. So that's why it's really not a good idea to eat too much before you have intercourse or any type of sex, not just intercourse. For optimal sexual function, it's best to, you know, have sex, not in an empty stomach where you feel like you're going to pass out, but not like where your stomach is like, you know, full of like pasta and wine and chicken and you know it just it doesn't the, the two don't jive together then of course you know the western way of eating is to overindulge and by western i'll say it over and over again i'm not taking a jab at white western civilization i mean talmudic that's what i'm saying so following sexual intercourse this is a kundalini way it's a it's advisable for a man to replenish his um his sexual fluids and strengthen his nervous system by taking a special beverage. Actually, it's this sesame ginger milk. It's this milk beverage where you take raw milk and I think sesame seeds and ginger and you buzz it up and maybe you strain it. And this beverage is supposed to strengthen a man's nervous system and replenish his sexual fluids. And the lady actually makes it for him too. Oh my God, so sexist. Oh my God, I can't believe it, right? Just kidding, everybody. But that's, that's according to the Kundalini lineage that you would have sex and you wouldn't like, you know, be bloated from eating all this food. So you'd be able to have, you know, normal arousal, no dysfunction, no ED or impotency. Imp can't even say that word. Being impotent, we'll put it that way. And then you would have your lady friend make you this sesame beverage, you know, and, and share it and share it with you. We'd give it to you. It's for, it's for you to drink. It's a, it's a man's beverage. The food a man eats affects not only his health, but his potency as well. According to the ancient yogic system of health, potency is not just a matter of adequate sexual function. It is more than that. Potency is the inner capacity of a man to project outward. It is his creativity and his effectiveness. Potency is based upon many factors, physical, mental, spiritual, and has an impact in each of these realms. One of the most important factors contributing to potency is the presence of a high level of good quality of semen in the body. Yogic science teaches that semen is not just a sexual fluid for reproduction. It is a lubricant for the brain and the nervous system, like an oil of an automobile engine. If your semen is plentiful and, quote, high grade, you will have more resistance to the, quote, heat of physical and mental, mental pressure that you would otherwise, than you would otherwise. You can be your own man and more effectively accomplish your goals in life despite any obstacles. According to the yogic theory, it takes 80 bites of food to promote, to produce a drop of blood, and it takes 80 drops of blood to produce a drop of semen. 
With this in mind, a man should value his sexual fluid and include in his diet those foods that stimulate the production of this precious liquid. So it's not just about being horny and, you know, quote, blowing a load or busting a nut. This is your sexual fluids are part of your body. They, they nourish you like we just learned. It's a lubricant for the brain and the nervous system, right? So what are some special foods for men that will increase their potency, correct any sexual dysfunctions, and preserve their sexual vigor? Well, there are quite a few. One of them is figs, actually, believe it or not. Figs kind of look like a scrotum sac uh, as well, or scrotum, uh, testicles, actually. <laughs> scrotum is the thing that holds the testicles. So figs for sexual or nervous disorders, figs are important. Be sure to eat the white strings that cling to, which cling to the yogurt. 10 to 15 minutes is a good ratio. I guess they're mentioning to eat the figs with yogurt. That sounds pretty good. Garlic. Garlic is considered a trinity root, which stimulates the production of semen. It gives sexual energy, which can be channeled into creativity. And that's why some yogis will actually avoid garlic and onions because they generate sexual energy. So the ones that don't want to generate sexual energy will not eat garlic and onions. Any man who is married and wants to remain married should somehow manage to eat two cloves of garlic per day. Many people find the smell of garlic odd or unpleasant, but this amazing root, which makes you smell on the outside, eliminates many of the bad smells on the inside of the body. And onions do the same thing. Another trinity root increases semen production and generates sexual energy. Ghee. Ghee, or clarified butter, is the oil or lipid of choice in a man's diet. According to Vedic tradition, the man who regularly uses more ghee than any other lipid will never have problems in his sexual world. It will not make you overweight or underweight, but it will create semen. So ghee is really important. I think ghee is also important to have after one uh, exposes semen to kind of rebuild up the body. That's why that, that shake was recommended, the one that's the sesame ginger milk. Of course, there's no ghee in it, but if you're having the milk and you're having the milk fat, that's one of the constituents, of course, of ghee. Nutmeg is something else. It has the property of lowering blood pressure. So in a healthy male, it can bring about, um, it brings immediate temporary uh, impotency. But for someone who is having, let's say, premature ejaculation or can't control their sexual discharge, this, um, this nutmeg is divine for them. And you can take a little bit of it and mix it into yogurt uh, prior to intercourse. But don't take too much. I mean, nutmeg is a very strong spice, just like cardamom. You know, certain spices you can use with, with more judicious nature. But just a little bit of this is necessary. Too much can cause uh, dizziness and um, disorientation. And they're saying that if you eat it with a banana, it's a tonic for men, which can keep them young for years. And then the fruits that begin with the word pea are actually really good for men. Peaches, plums, pineapples, pears, papayas, and persimmons are all really good for a man's creativity. And they also blend well with yogurt to make fruit smoothies and things like that. Of course, these things are best taken room temp. I know that's kind of weird for a lot of Westerners, but a lot of the world does not have this obsession with cold or iced foods, and they have much better health, especially much better sexual health and much better circulation. Saffron. Saffron is a concentrated heat form of the herb. It pro provides, quote, atomic energy of the human life force. According to the Vedic scriptures, it can be used for skin problems, hair problems, 
old age and senility and can add to a man's overall health and vigor. So a little bit there about, you know, some basic ideas for how men should go about eating, uh, a little bit of a, about a drink that they should have, you know, after they have sex, and some special foods for men, just to recap, fig, garlic, onion, ghee, nutmeg, the fruits that begin with pea, peach, plum, pineapple, pear, papaya, and persimmon, and saffron. These are all good tonic foods for men, and they're pretty readily available as well. And of course, these can be mixed into many different dishes, depending on what you like, you know, what type of, uh, you know, cuisine style you like, but, you know, just, just more, more information to know. It's always good to know these things. And then we can kind of work being our own healer, right? Like I would never proclaim like that I quote healed somebody or that anybody else can do that. I think that we have to be ready to do that healing. And then we can work with people who kind of ignite that force within us to heal ourselves but this is good information to know and all these foods are pretty delicious as well right saffron is amazing saffron and ghee sounds like a really sexy and uh potent recipe right there but just you know knowledge is power so just a little bit there for some foods that men might enjoy and some some tips for sexual wellness okay moving forward let's see what else i have so I want to talk a little bit about the chakras. I was actually having this conversation with Josh last week after I did my last show, and he asked me a good question. He said to me, well, how does someone know if their chakra is blocked? Which I thought was, I was like, oh, that's a good question. I'm like, I'll add this to the broadcast. So in most traditions, not all, there are seven chakra systems or seven chakras rather. Sometimes there's 10 and different ones, but We'll stick with the seven chakra system for this broadcast. And since it's a lot of information, I think what I'll do in the coming weeks is I'll go over one chakra a week, just like we do the word for the week. So we don't overwhelm ourselves and take in too much information and it becomes, you know, boring and mundane. To keep it fresh and spicy, we'll just go through one chakra a week and we'll talk about a little bit about it, like what can affect it, what can help it, what are signs it's out of balance, what are signs it's in balance, and we'll just go through that once a week to get an idea of the chakras. So thank you, Josh, for bringing this to um, my attention. Great idea for a topic for a show. I think everyone's going to benefit from it. And 6-4 Arian is saying, four eggs every day for testosterone support paired with garlic extract works good for me. Yeah, eggs are great. Um, and of course the garlic, you got the garlic right there, just like we just mentioned, but you're taking the extract, but yeah, eggs are great. They're great for the ladies too, the eggs. Um, I like to have two eggs, sometimes three a day. And lately my favorite way of having them is soft boiled. I really like them soft boiled. I, I oscillate. Sometimes I like them sunny up. Sometimes I like them scrambled, which of course takes way less time. Making a good soft boiled egg is kind of like an art. I have this, uh, steamer machine you can put them in and you can make them soft, medium, hard, but I feel like it always slightly overcooks it for me. So I would rather do it in the saucepan, which of course is more of like a guesswork type of thing. And that's how I've been making them the last couple of days. And I really, really liked having them like that. It's really soft. It's easy to eat. Um, so that's how, that's my favorite way probably to have an egg is, is soft boiled, but yeah, eggs are easy to eat, and it's an affordable type of protein, too, right? Especially with the prices going just crazy mm -hmm. as of late with everything. You know, I actually have an article I wanted to share a little bit later about just how people are really changing their diet a lot because of what's been going on, you know, with all the 
inflation and, you know, recession and all that jazz, but eggs are a good way to get protein and nutrients to the system. They're very rich in choline. Each, you know, medium-ish size egg has about six grams of protein, two in the yolk, four in the white. So it's easy to eat. They're affordable. They're familiar. They can be made sweet, savory, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack. Every culture has at least, I don't know, a few if more egg recipes. So eggs are great. Um, and especially if you can get them, you know, like from a good farm. But even if you can get just like the regular ones in the store, they're still, it's way better than eating that. What's that, that tranny egg thing, that just egg thing with the, with the dung bean. It's like dung bean and turmeric. Not that I'm against, you know, mung bean or dung bean and turmeric. I'm not against those things. I, I just don't eat those when I, I want to eat an egg. <laughs> it's different, right? Just a guy is saying eggs are indeed affordable source of protein and cholesterol. Yes, cholesterol. Absolutely. We need that. And like 6-4 Arian had said he eats the eggs for testosterone because cholesterol is a precursor to sex hormones like testosterone. So that's why, of course, Zog is promoting this vegan plant-based um, leaf and sludge diet because they want everyone to have low sex hormones and high stress hormones because that makes people docile and insane and that's what Zog wants, right? So let's talk about the root chakra. We're gonna start with the bottom of the chakras. So that would be the root chakra. And like I said, coming in the weeks to come, we will discuss more of these chakras in depth. But for just this day, I just wanna to stick to the first chakra, which is typically represented in the color red and the element is earth, and the Vedic or Sanskrit name is Muladhara, which means root, M-U-L-A-D-H-A-R-A, Muladhara, that means root, hence root chakra, right? So the purpose is that it's our foundation, it's our root, it's like our structure, right? I almost think of it as like the food, water, shelter chakra, like we need to have all of those root survival needs taken care of. It's like all the basic kind of like survival needs that, you know, any species would need to feel like functionable. So we could have other chakras maybe more imbalanced, imbalanced, not imbalanced. And then if we don't have a balanced root chakra, it will feel like we have kind of um, not a strong foundation, essentially. Like it will feel like everything is kind of rickety or just, you know, not really firm, so to speak. So what are the issues surrounding the Muladhara Chakra? Roots, grounding, nourishment, trust, health, home, family, prosperity, appropriate boundaries. So if we feel that we don't have these things, our Muladhara Chakra is going to be affected. We feel we have no roots, no racial roots. We're not grounded. We don't feel like we're nourishing ourselves, maybe spiritually, nutritionally, sexually, emotionally. We feel like we can't trust people. Maybe our health is in the toilet. If we have an ill home life, we have family issues, we have money issues, we have boundary issues. That would all be Muladhara or root chakra stuff. The color, like I said, is red. The location is the base of the spine or the coccygeal plexus, the coccyx, that area on your body, right? The identity is physical. This is a very kind of like, you know, physical chakra. The orientation is self-preservation. Again, food, water, shelter, self-preservation, first law of nature, right? The demon, and of course they mean demon in the, they don't mean like the gods of the Gentiles, like that's essentially what demon means. They mean demon kind of more from the, 
uh, I guess more of the Western Talmudic-ish perspective of a demon, which is fear. So that's what, that's the demon or the, the energy or the negative emotion, probably a better way of saying it. The negative emotion that will affect the Muladhara chakra is fear. Fear of not having roots, fear of not being grounded, fear of not being nourished, fear of not being able to trust anybody, fear, health fear, home fear, family fear, prosperity fear, boundary fear. This is all root chakra stuff. The developmental stage of the first chakra is the second trimester to 12 months. So that's the time in your life. So there's times in your life when you have like these chakra times. So when you were in your mom's belly, the second trimester to 12 months, like after you were born. So from the second trimester to a year after you were born, that was the time of the Muladhara chakra. It's that basic physical self-preservation, all that type of stuff. Developmental tasks of the Muladhara chakra, physical growth, motor skills, object permanence. The basic rights of the Muladhara chakra, to be here and to have. So being, being present, physically being present, and to, you know, to have these self-preservation uh, things and belief systems. What are the characteristics of when the Muladhara chakra is balanced? Good health, vitality, being well-grounded, feeling comfortable in one's body, sense of trust in the world, feeling safe and secure, the ability to relax and be still, stability, prosperity, and right livelihood. So some people, they could be in like the later decades of their life and they may still not feel safe or secure. They may still not be able to relax and be still. Like I know people who were much older who cannot sit still, who cannot relax. So that means in some way that their muladhara chakra is, is imbalanced. So these imbalances could literally go on for a long, long time. The person may not even be cognizant of the imbalance, right? So what are the traumas and the abuses that can lead to an imbalance of the muladhara or the root chakra, the first chakra? Birth trauma, which is a huge, huge one. Very popular topic nowadays. I'm glad there's information coming out about this. Um, it seems many of us, probably most of us, had a traumatic birth. Even if we were a vaginal birth, I was a vaginal birth, but I was born in the Zogspital, episiotomy under drugs. My first drop of, quote, milk was formula. That sounds pretty traumatic, right? So a lot of people now are kind of processing this birth trauma, which I think even if you never have children or you don't want to have children, you haven't had children yet, you've had, had children, you're going to have children soon, you're pregnant now, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter. It's important to discover and heal your own birth trauma. Very, very important. Another issue, abandonment, physical neglect. This could actually be woven into the birth trauma story. What if you were whisked away from your mom, right? That could definitely be part of it. Or it could actually be something that happened, you know, after you were born, like after you left the Zogspital. Something else that could be a trauma or abuse of the root chakra. Poor physical bonding with the, with the mother, which oftentimes happens with a bad Zogspital, Zogspital birth, oftentimes can happen with more propensity if there is a cesarean section birth. Malnourishment or feeding difficulties can also be a root chakra trauma or abuse. Major illness or surgery. Physical abuse or violent environment. That could also be a root chakra uh, abuse or trauma. 
enema abuse, actually. Um, that could be anyone, probably maybe a parent or a guardian giving enemas to children or who knows what that is. Um, but I've, I've heard stories of, of, you know, children having to take those and not wanting to take them. And that's pretty invasive, um, especially that part of the body. So yeah, that could be, that could be a huge thing for a lot of people. Uh, inherited traumas, like what they call, you know, generational tra traumas, parents' survival fears, war veterans, poverty, um, maybe your ancestors. This says, this book right now says Holohoke survivors, but I'm just going to brush right past that. Maybe your ancestors were in the um, potato famine in Ireland. Maybe your ancestors came over to the States and they were indentured servants and they were Irish. Maybe your ancestors um, died in the Holodomor. I don't know. Maybe your ancestors died in the Bolshevik Revolution. I mean, there could have been anything, right? Anything. Maybe your ancestors were bombed in Dresden or one of the other major countries that the quote, uh, major cities that the allies, quote, allies bombed. So all of those things, generational inherited traumas of the parents' survival fears can all be Muladhara, you know, root chakra stuff. So what are the deficiencies? What are things that happen after these traumas and abuses occur? Disconnection from the body, so feeling disembodiment. We see so much of that these days. I think the transsexual agenda is basically one of the, one of the, the gasolines or fuels that kind of runs that is the disconnection from the body, which of course can happen from these traumas and abuses, right? Oftentimes when someone is abused, especially if they're sexually abused, they disconnect from their body. Being underweight, notably underweight, that could be a deficiency. Being fearful, being anxious, being restless, not being able to settle down. Poor focus and discipline. Financial difficulty. Having poor boundaries. Chronic disorganization. These are all the deficiencies that could come from having these traumas and abuses. So that goes from deficiency and now we go to excess. Excess could be obesity and overeating, maybe people who have like a scarcity complex. Like I've noticed that a lot of people who lived through the Great Depression or who were children during the Great Depression or heard stories of their, you know, their parents living for, through it, they have this scarcity mentality where they're afraid to even throw like a plastic bag with holes away, right? Like exactly, in that next point, hoarding, material fixation, greed, these are all forms of excess from the traumas and abuses that affect the muladhara or the root chakra. Being sluggish, lazy, tired, fear of change, addiction to security, rigid boundaries, those are the excesses. And how does this manifest in a physical way? What are the physical malfunctions that could manifest from these traumas and abuses? Disorders of the bowel, anus, or large intestine. So if we're thinking from like a dramatic new medicine perspective, Let's say a youngster was given enemas, I don't know, once a week against their will by like a parent or a guardian. That could have felt so invasive in like a root chakra, you know, almost like a sexual way. Because there's definitely, I would definitely say that enema abuse is not just physical abuse. I would say that's actually more sexual abuse. But that could lead later on in life to a disorder of the bowel, anus, or large intestine because the person felt violated, Right. Disorders of the solid parts of the body like bones and teeth. And of course, in Germanic New Medicine, we know that to be a self-devaluation conflict crisis, right? So when you are devaluating yourself, it usually affects your bones, joints, and teeth. 
issues with legs, feet, knees, base of spine, and, and butt. Those are all physical malfunctions of the Muladhara chakra. Eating disorders, so that could be anything from bulimia, which is purging, anorexia, starvation, or even the new one that they call orthorexia, which is people who have like extreme health type of thing where like maybe all they're going to eat is raw food. They're never going to eat carbohydrates. They're never going to eat meat. Like that to say you should binge out on like garbage, but you know, when you're too rigid, there's, that's typically a sign that something is off. Another physical malfunction can be frequent illness, which can be deficient and or excessive depending on how it manifests. So what are some healing strategies? Now we know all this, right? We know what the traumas and the abuses are. We know what the deficiencies are, the excess, the physical malfunctions. How can we heal it? Reconnecting with the body, and that could be done many different ways, right? But I think that even if we don't feel like we've particularly had one of these Muladhara traumas, and I would say probably everyone who is born in the hospital, even at home, I mean, I witnessed a medicalized home birth when I was three years old. I saw my mom get an episiotomy when she was like delivering my siblings. So like I saw that not every, not all home births are, you know, like free births, right? They can be definitely medicalized. But I would say all of us have probably have some trauma from our birth, from our birth. Maybe we weren't abandoned or neglected. Maybe we bonded with our moms. Maybe we weren't malnourished. Maybe we weren't ill. If we weren't abused physically or, you know, we didn't have enema abuse, we didn't have any of the family's inherited traumas, but I would say most of us probably have a birth trauma and probably most of us have an inherited trauma as well. Even if we were able to be unscathed by the rest of these, I mean, I don't, I don't know if everyone has, I'm thinking most people probably have a lot of these things going on because oftentimes those of us who are more aware of what's going on with like Zog and the Skeksis, I've noticed a trend. I'm not sure if this is wholly accurate, but I've noticed that oftentimes the people or the humans who are most aware of what's going on in the world have actually had many traumas and abuses in their life. They've just become hyper aware, not like vigilant, kind of like in a paranoia type of way. But I feel oftentimes like the abuse or the trauma, as terrible as it is, oftentimes becomes this portal to awareness. So reconnecting with the body physical activity, aerobics, weights, running, dance, touch, massage. You could be, it could be sexual touch, non-sexual touch, even touching pets can be amazing. Let's say it's not sexual. Let's say we're just snuggling a pet. That's, that's amazing right there. Bioenergetic grounding, yoga, especially Hatha yoga, Kundalini yoga, looking at the early childhood relationship to your mom, reclaiming the right to be here, that you actually belong, that you have worth, that you have power, that, that you know, that you're, that you're someone who's worthy of those things. A lot of us don't feel that way. I think especially a lot of the younger people, because they're so disembodied, they don't even know if they're, they're, they're supposed to belong here. Right. And here are some groovy affirmations to say to yourself, maybe if you're struggling with this, it is safe for me to be here. The earth supports me and meets my needs. I love my body and I trust its wisdom. I am immersed in abundance. I'm here and I'm real. So just a little bit there about the first chakra at a glance. Um, and like I said, we'll be going through these throughout the weeks, but I just want to give you a little bit every week, not to overwhelm anybody. So just think about this one. This is, um, this is like the base. This is like the root, right? So if this one's out of whack, chances are the other ones are going to be out of whack too. It's almost like with the TCM perspective, 
where the kidneys are considered to be the door to life. So if the kidneys have some type of like imbalance, like a jing or an essence deficiency or a yin deficiency or a yang deficiency or a deficiency of yang and yin, chances are that their other organs also have some type of thing going on. But the kidney is like, you know, the number one thing. Like I, I see the kidneys being very analogous to the root chakra. And the more I get into like Ayurveda and all the Vedic studies and all the TCM and like all this groovy stuff, I could really see how they so closely align. They're just utilizing different language to essentially talk about the same thing. Like I was even thinking the other day in TCM, they talk about conditions and one of the conditions is excess heat. And I'm thinking like, oh, in Ayurveda, that's like excess pitta because pitta is the dosha that overheats, that's fiery, that has red hair, that likes competition, that sweats a lot, that can't do spicy foods, that needs more cooling foods. So you can see how everything lines up. It's just a matter of knowing it enough and, and seeing the dots connect. But I hope that was helpful for anyone out there who's needing a little bit of support for the Muladhara chakra. And like I said, I think it's all of us, honestly. I think all of us have had some type of of trauma, whether it be a multi-generational trauma or birth trauma or both, or maybe it was something even worse, like growing up in a violent environment, you know, enema abuse. Gosh, it could be, it could be so many things. I mean, the world is such a fucked up place. And I think something that's important to remember, even though we could be really angry at people, you know, who maybe raised us or took care of us and, and fucked up on their own accord, maybe it was malnutrition, maybe it was, you know, ill programming, like at the end of the day, like, I don't know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but it seems like everyone's just trying to do the best that they can. And if they're not doing the best that they can, it's their survival mechanism. So even if they say or do stuff that's like super fucked up, it's self-preservation. Like I said in the Negating Narcissism show, it's preservation of themselves. Does it hurt you? Does it manifest as a trauma or an abuse? Could it be a deficiency or an excess once it you know, manifests as a physical malfunction? Certainly, but they're trying to preserve yourself, themselves. So your job is to preserve yourself, right? That's really the job that we have to do is to preserve ourselves. So taking in all this black pill, AIDS pill garbage, that does not lead to self-preservation. That leads to self-destruction. And that's exactly what the Skeksis want. So just a little bit there about the chakras in case you're interested. This is an interesting book. I've had this book for... Oh, quite some time, decades, actually. Uh, it was published in 1996. So, you know, still a time when things were normal, normal-ish. Eastern body, Western mind, psychology and the chakra system as a path to the self by Anodia Judith. And I think this book is good because it's, it's very digestible for people who didn't grow up like in the Eastern Oriental Vedic paradigm of you know, ideologies or belief systems. So I think it's a very palatable book for people who grew up in, I guess, for lack of a better word, more of a Talmudic perspective of things. And, you know, that's just the way it is, right? All of us came into this world, I'm assuming, with some Talmudic trimmings. Even myself, who had a lot of these, you know, Vedic and, and Eastern influences as a youngster, I still grew up with a lot of Talmudic programming. And I'm assuming that you did too. It just... It's just something we have to scrub away and wash away as time goes on, right? So just a bit there about the chakras. And, and I guess next week or the weeks following, we'll do the um, we'll do the sacral chakra. And then, you know, the, the solar plexus, the heart chakra, 
the throat chakra, the third eye chakra, and the crown chakra. So stay tuned for that. You can look forward to that um, in the broadcast to come. Okay, let's take a Gandhi at the chat. Let's see. Hit six four is saying, Arian, I was saying, I was lucky. Natural birth. Uh, and my mother said she ate lots of liver and onions while I was in her womb. I think that's why I'm 6'4 and strapping, lol. That's great. That is amazing. How old are you, by the way? I'm curious. Um, and also intact, if you know what I mean. Also, that's amazing, too. Um, my mom didn't do that either, the, the circumcision. So luckily, uh, that, was, that was spared. Epiphany is saying, you were spared the razor rape. Glad your parents knew better. Yeah, I feel like it's a hard thing to be spared, especially here in the States where it's so, it's so widespread. Um, it's crazy how fast that changed. It only really became a thing like after World War II. And I think, like I've said on prior shows, I think that was a way for the Skeksis to hide. Oh, you're snipped. I'm snipped. We can all hide, right? And 6'4 is saying he's 38 years young. I like how you said 38 years young too. So yeah, I guess that was that time that you got that's wonderful that's awesome that your mom had that that foresight and you were a natural birth yeah I guess you know everyone's got a different story but I, I always kind of like figure like most of us have probably had some type of trauma like that like with me I had this you know this hospital birth that was pretty traumatic but I had you know a natural upbringing where I breastfed until I was five years old you know like that's unheard of most of the time like tribes usually breastfeed until age four but I had this, you know, this Zog's little birth where my first sip of, quote, milk was formula. So it's, you know, everyone's, it's so different. I'm just glad that the tide is turning, especially since Oyed AI. I feel like there's been a renaissance of women saying, fuck that. I'm not going to birth my baby in the Zog's but all, you know. So, yeah, I think, I think as the agendas become more obvious over time, that's what happens, right? Women are like, nope, we're not doing that, so. I'm glad that that power is being taken back in that regard. Okay, so what else do I have for this show? Just a couple of more things. I got about a half hour left. Let's see. Oh, and just so I had something today actually on Telegram that said what people with balanced chakras say. So the thing you would say if your root chakra was balanced, I am present and aware. Keep that in mind, being present and aware. Many of us are maybe aware, but are we present? Are we really being here now, right? It's a question that we can ask ourselves. So just something good to, to know as uh, time goes on, navigating these things, right? Not to forget these things, especially in a world where there's so much information, but so much of it is out of sludge. That's the problem. Okay, moving along a little bit more. Let's see what else I have for this broadcast. Gathering up the stuff for the week. Let's see. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Oh, yes, about Americans changing their diet. So, yes, we'll talk about this now. This is just a news or a rather Jews story I saw while I was just uh, looking a little bit, just checking out some of the zoggery online. Inflation is forcing Americans to change their diets. We make vegetable soup. The rise in the cost of living has prompted people to cut down on meat and eat out less. Well, eating out less, that's a good thing. Cutting down on meat, probably not so much. If someone was just eating like hot dogs and bacon and just all types of like the processed junk, then yeah, that's probably a good idea. 
But people are being forced to do this because they're they're pinching pennies because Zog has fucked up the economy, just like they've done time after time again. So this article goes on to say people are cutting back on trips to restaurants and bars. That's the most common change. Well, like I said, not a bad thing. Eight in 10 people are actually doing this. 72% of people who said they have changed their shopping habits reported they had cut down on their meat purchases. Among those who reported changing their eating habits, nearly half said they were buying more prepackaged or frozen food to mitigate the high costs, and over half reported they have stopped buying organic produce. Consumers will usually cut their restaurant spending in response to the high inflation, but as financial pressures deepen, they change their supermarket habits too. U.S. inflation has hit a 40-year high back in May, with prices increasing 8.6% compared to a year ago. Shoppers who paid 2021 prices would have gotten 43% fewer eggs at the same time a year ago and 15% fewer oranges. In tough economic times, customers started cutting back, switching to store brands or generic products that are cheaper than the big name brands, buying the smaller sizes and buying chicken instead of beef, also utilizing coupons and deals more. And I've noticed this uh, trend called shrinkflation, where you will spend more, but the item that you're buying is actually smaller. Analysis has said that lower income consumers are the ones most likely to trade down for cheaper products because they spend more of their budget on food and energy and feel the impacts of the rising costs of these items at the same time. Rising prices have also taken a toll on middle-income consumers as the big-box retailers where they're likely to shop have increased the prices. Yes, this is something that a lot of people are feeling this pinch. People are buying beans instead of meat. A mother of two reported sometimes there's not enough money. Like meat, you know how much that has gone up in price. That's why sometimes we don't buy meat. Instead, we make vegetable soup. And I'm sure all the people out there who believe in not eating meat are probably cheering this on and saying, oh, it's good. But, you know, people need to eat a little bit of everything, right? Like I'm not into promoting the idea of like some extreme diet. Um, we need meat. I think we also need to eat some some seasonal vegetables and fruits and things like that. But people are being forced to eat you know, maybe they do want to eat vegetable soup. There's nothing wrong with vegetable soup, but, you know, make it make it with chicken stock, right? Or throw in a couple of pieces of chicken to it. But it just goes to show that the rising cost is making people cut down on meat. See, they, they would never have been able to convince people to eat less meat. They would have had to either do it with fear tactics like they've done for decades saying, don't eat red meat or ruminant meat. You know, the saturated fat will you know, give you all these medical problems. And that's how they got people more on chicken, right? And that's why the chicken sandwich is like the number one fast food sandwich in the country. So they had to use fear. You know, chicken's not horrible, but beef does have, or red meat has more nutrition. And typically it's easier to get healthier, let's say grass-fed meat than it is to get pastured chicken. Like you can get a pound of grass-fed meat pretty well-priced now, especially if it's ground, but a pound of pastured chicken is is really expensive. It's out of most people's budgets, especially if they're not buying it in bulk and they're going to eat it all the time. So first they had to use fear and now they're using, you know, money and financial hardship to get people basically to become whatever language you're going to be using, you know, flexitarian, 
vegetarian, vegan, whatever. I remember when Oyed AI first started, they were doing something where they were stocking the transsexual or tranny meat, like right next to the regular meat. I shouldn't even call it regular meat, just call it meat. It's like calling a woman a biological woman when someone's referring to like a tranny. I'm not even gonna, gotta remember to not use their language. And then they were doing the thing where they were putting like mushrooms or half tranny meat in the meat. So they, they would have had to have feared people and then financially fucked them for them to ever give up their natural ancestral diet. And, and this is where we're at right now with, with what's going on. It's sad, um, but it's, it's just a sign of the times, right? I hope that people are, I mean, I would say like, you don't necessarily, and here's the odd bit, I'm thinking about this right now. With the way vegetables are, sometimes, you know, vegetables are actually more expensive than meat, especially if they're like out of season vegetables or fruit. The better thing for people to do, and maybe they don't even know how to, and this is, this is, this is unfortunate, um, <coughs> pardon me, oftentimes the more expensive cuts of meat would be the chicken breast, the steaks, even the burgers to an extent. But if they were to buy like you know, oxtail or something like, you know, one of those cuts that maybe isn't the most glamorous cut is very affordable. And of course, it, you know, it takes a bit of time to cook it. You can't just throw it on the grill and say dinner is ready in 10 minutes. It doesn't work like that. But I think in, in many instances, these kind of peasant cuts of meat, you know, oxtail, also buco, these types of cuts would actually be more affordable than vegetables in many instances. And of course, you could add vegetables to the pot of that type of meat too, or maybe even buy like, I don't know, like a whole roast and, and cook that. So maybe people just have lost the wisdom to cook those things. And also, organs are much cheaper than those fancy muscle meat cuts. Like liver, even like grass-fed liver is way cheaper than even like like the low quality meat in the food store. But the thing is that people don't know how to cook these things and they're scared. And I think they scared people off of organs from all those like slasher, you know, those like B slasher movies, like from the 1970s that like scared people into eating organs, thinking like, oh gosh, you're a cannibal if you eat organs, right? Crazy shit. Uh, the stuff that they get people to believe is just well, I guess at one point I fell, I fell for these ugly things too, you know, unfortunately. I think we all go through phases where we, we get feared out and we believe all these ugly things that they tell us. But there are many ways that you can still eat well and not have to just live on vegetable soup. If you want to have vegetable soup, like I said, make it with chicken stock or something, right? Beef stock, mutton stock, whatever, whatever it may be. But don't think that that's what you have to do. I mean, there's plenty of these, these kind of peasant cuts of meat that are, are plenty healthy and, pl and plenty good to be eating. It's just that we've unfortunately lost the wisdom and how to do that. So unfortunate. Let's take a gandy at the chat. Six Foyerin is saying, I buy a whole cow and a hog every year, plus the wild game I harvest. I also have chickens in a garden. It saves money and your ass during hard times. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. I always am happy to hear that someone is doing that because the more we do stuff like that, the less we require um, to basically lean on Zog. What if every family was doing that? Or let's say they were raising cows and hogs. You know, the first step is to do chickens and have a garden. That's the that's the first thing. That's the chickens are the easiest animal husbandry. Then you get your garden going, right? And you get the best vegetables and the best soil. 
You can either have the chickens for eggs or meat, or you can just have your old egg birds become meat birds. You can keep them separate. You could even do quails once you start doing chickens because quails are probably pretty super easy to do. I think you get one quail egg a day with quails too. I haven't done quails yet, but I would eventually like to do quails and um, waterfowl too. I'd like to do like duck or, or geese. That would be really awesome to do that. But that's the way to do it, to buy these meat in bulk, to buy a whole cow, to have the freezer, right? I remember when Oyed AI first started, I bought like a quarter of a hog and I had like all these like random hog bits like in the deep freeze, like all these pieces that like I probably never would have thought to buy just like as is when I was like doing an order online. And it was actually kind of fun because I was like, oh, I've got hog knuckle, you know, I got hog feet and I was just like trying to make different stuff. So it's fun. It's so sad that so many of us have lost the inclination or the desire or just the family thread of cooking. I post something today on the White Wellness Cooking Channel. Women in the kitchen tending to the hearth of the home is the most holistic and ancestral part of being a racialist. A whole generation of women rebelled against being in the kitchen in the 60s and 70s via the women, quote, liberation movement, parentheses, of course, and in turn set the stage for a cascade event of, quote, forgetting of traditional ways of hearth tending and memory making with food. Let's get back in the kitchen. And I know some misogynists like to say, oh, women belong in the kitchen. And I mean, women have typically been the ones that did tend to that, you know, that picked the berries, that, you know, forage for the mushrooms and the herbs. The men were out, you know, hunting and, and fishing and the women prepared it. It's just it's just part of the role. Like it's not to put anyone down or anything like that. Hell, I'm a woman. I spend most of my time in the kitchen. You know, I remember like when I was leaving the other network, that was one of the, the jabs they threw at me that I belong in the kitchen. And I was like, yeah, is there a problem? Like, I just don't get what you're saying, but all right, no problem. But yeah, buying your own hog, buying your own cow, this is, this is wise, especially because prices are going up like all the time. It's crazy how much prices are going up. You could buy something and then like two weeks later, the price, the price could go up. So things are really just going crazy. Epiphany is saying we had a freezer, but it died and we lost a lot of meat. Oh, gosh, what a bummer. That stinks. I remember we had um, we had a power outage at one point. I was like, oh, my God, are we going to lose the meat? But I think we got we got it back. Um, but, yeah, that's a bummer when that happens. Um, but having a freezer in general is is a good practice to have. And it's it's not that much money either. You can buy a good size like chest freezer for I think just like maybe under $200. It's actually way more affordable than buying like a fridge and a freezer. So yeah, that's just some of the pinch that people are experiencing these days with um with the food and all of that. But you know, cooking at home, drinking at home especially, drinks outside the house can be extremely expensive. Oh my god, you know? I mean, I I don't really drink too much alcohol. Well, today I'm still having my Sauvignon Blanc, but in general like I don't really drink drinks outside the house. Sometimes I'll get uh, sake if I'm having like, you know, sushi or something like that. But um, and I actually had a really good margarita recently made with all fresh juice and stuff. I would never go for that sour mix sludge. Um, but yeah, you could really save money by not making that like, you know, a weekly or a daily habit coffee outside the house. People, people spend money like it's I just I, I'm just mind zoggled by how people spend money on, on tomfoolery. 6-4 Aryan is saying the agenda to push the women out of the home 
pisses me off to no end. Women are at the home and are happiest women in the world. Epiphany is saying, I agree. I'm a stay-at-home wife. Yeah, I am too. And um, that's what I've wanted to be since I was a little girl. And that's that's it. Like, you know, I mean, I enjoy having the other projects. I love having creative projects. I love being able to work out and do yoga and, you know, do the wellness counseling part-time and do this show, you know, and do hang out with people, whether it be online or in real life. I love doing all of that. But at the end of the day, I like being a homemaker. And it is a career. Anyone out there who's saying it's not a career, that's misogyny, right? They say, oh, it's misogyny that that is your career or that you think it is. No, it's misogyny to say that's not a career, right? Like, how come we live in a society where a woman can work and be a mother and, you know, pay someone to take care of her children, pay someone to clean her house, pay someone to make her food, and that woman is more revered than a woman who does all of that herself. Like that, that really pisses me off, right? I mean, it's Zog has really done a real number, especially on like women's brains with all this type of stuff. That whole idea of, you know, being liberated, liberated from what? So you can go work for some, some fat slob who like turns the AC too low so you can look at your nipples? Like, no way, fuck that, right? Now you gotta wear the fucking costume and do like the, all the fucking sprays and the temperature and stuff. No, no way. Forget that. So yeah, um, cooking is great. Um, having a lot of food on hand, especially having your meats on hand. Also keeping a menu too. Like I like planning meals like a couple of days in advance, like knowing what I'm going to make. Like today is going to like tonight is going to be steaks. Um, tomorrow not totally sure yet. Maybe probably seafood tomorrow, but I like knowing in advance, right? And also something too that I like to do too, this is kind of more of like a woman's thing, but I think it helps it helps men as well, is to be able to rest during your period, prepare some foods beforehand, prepare a nice batch of chicken stock, make yourself like a sweet, like you, typically women like to have sweets around their period, make yourself some brownies, like make yourself some kind of dessert, Make yourself some easy casserole or something so you can eat that. And if you have a husband or boyfriend, like make something for him, right? So he doesn't have to worry about, you know, eating takeaway or whatever. Make something for your children if you have children. But to be able to rest, especially during the first or second day of your period, is really important. Um, that's something that in this society we're always told, go, 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 you know, just, just hustle, just get it done. But, you know, we need rest. Like women need to take rest at certain points when a man can push himself, a woman needs to take rest. Like our bodies are completely and totally different. That's why the idea that someone has a penis and they have a female brain, like, I, I mean, I know there have been studies where they say that homosexuals, and I, I, by homosexuals, I, I mean men, that ha they have more of like a female brain but they still don't have a female brain. They still have a male brain that's probably just been estrogenized or feminized in some certain way. But so bottom line is that we are different. So if we can be aware of that and plan for our differences, and lately what I've been doing with all of this is I've been preparing, like making my own frozen food because I got to the point where I was like, all the frozen food in the store 
is just trash. Like it doesn't even taste good. Like I don't even care how much it costs. It doesn't even taste good. So I got to this point where I just started making my own frozen meals and I bought this vacuum sealer thing and I have a bunch of like, you know, Pyrex glass containers. So I'll make a stew or a soup. I'll freeze them into these little like pint size containers, you know, two cups. And then I'll take those out and at night I don't feel like cooking or if I have my period and I'll just eat those or I'll make a casserole a few days before my period or something like that. Or I'll make a big batch of broth or I'll, I'll freeze brownies or whatever it is. So I have these tasty foods on hand so I don't feel like, oh, I just want to get Chinese food or Japanese food or something. It's, I don't want to eat that type of stuff. I really, I really don't enjoy that. Like if it's a really, really high class like sushi restaurant, that's different. But in general, like the Chinese restaurant food, I don't really like it. I can cook way better Chinese food at home. So that's a little tip that I've been using in the last couple of months, making my own frozen food. You can even make your own lasagna squares and you can like vacuum seal them. You can make a big pot of like tomato sauce and you can freeze those. I recently prepared some pork belly in a Filipino style and I froze those. I have some roasted spaghetti squash. I froze those into packets. So just some ideas, like just the idea of like coming home and having no idea what you're going to eat and being starving. You know, if you have these little things available, you'll always have the cushion of having a delicious, you know, wholesome meal. 6-4 Aaron is saying, I had a talk with my mate's daughter about the roles of a traditional woman. She said that sounds like heaven for lack of a better term. That's the thing, too. I feel like a lot of women would actually naturally want to have this housewife or home stay-at-home wife, homemaker role. But we've been told that it's not enough, that you're not enough, that you don't have enough worth if you don't have a career, that your worth is determined by having a career. Like the question people always ask at a cocktail party, what do you do? Right? That's always like the question that they ask. I remember watching old game shows from back in the day, even the 90s. And that's not even that old when you think about, you know, time and things. And I think it was Supermarket Sweep, which is actually a pretty good game show. Like the host wears these like ridiculous Cosby sweaters. But anyway, people on that show would say, I'm an I'm a housewife. I'm a stay at home mom when they were asked what they did. Right. See that that in that time in the 90s, it was still considered normative to do that. But now it's like, oh, my God, you know, you're so oppressed. You know, of course, I'm not promoting anything like the Handmaiden's Tale or the Handmaid's Tale, um, white Sharia, any of this disgusting, misogynistic, Islamic Talmudic garbage that can all go in the fucking dumpster with all that Abrahamic garbage. But in a normal, natural Aryan society, a woman's role would be honored, just like a man's role would be honored, too. It goes both ways. This isn't about, you know, dissing men or anything like that or dissing women. It's that we would have this role and we would relish it, right? And then we'd pass on this role to our daughters. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? I mean, I feel like now, like... I know with a lot of women who are around my age, a lot of them never grew up learning how to cook. Even if they had moms that were stay at home, maybe they just didn't make a lot of stuff from scratch, right? So I think it is coming back into fashion, which I think is like really nice. And there are a lot of channels too. Like I know on TikTok, there's channels and there are a lot of like, you know, younger women coming into that thing of just like, you know, loving being a homemaker. Like how about keeping a house pretty, Keeping a house with nice smells, that's an art. That is a career, for lack of a better word. I don't really like that word career because it's kind of a stupid word, but it's a path. It's a journey, right? It's it's a calling. And I don't think in any way that should actually be like 
put people should be women should be put down for having that role. You know, I think to the contrary, I think it's actually it's a gift. You get to like live like in your creative goddess energy, right? As opposed to like doing some masculine hustle. Like how many women are living like an over masculinized life where they're like, you know, working out like a man, working like a man, eating like a man, dating like a man, right? We're, we're not small men. So I really hope that it makes more of a renaissance, you know, as younger ladies, you know, become like wives and mothers, I really hope that it becomes like more of a thing because it's a jewel, right? And who wants to, does, don't you want to be the person in the neighborhood that makes like the best pie or the best roast chicken, whether it's just for, for you and your mate or for your children or for anyone else who's going to have it? Like there's a sense of pride being able to do stuff well, right? Especially in your own kitchen where you get the chance to just, just do great stuff, right? And experiment and make fun things. I mean, that's what it's all about. So that's my, those are my thoughts on, on homemaking and got off on a spin talking about inflation, but I'm glad we got to talk about this because I think it's an important thing that doesn't really get too much lip service. I think that the, the white movements are probably one of the movements that really has emphasis on this more than many other movements, I would say, you know, because a lot of other movements or ideologies will just talk about it being like oppressive and misogynistic. And I, I, I don't see that at all. Epiphany is saying when you factor in the extra car, the child care, the work clothes, etc., how much is left of the second income? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, but that's okay. You've got to do all that because just being a homemaker and a mother, that's not good enough in this society, right? So we've been told that we're not that we're not good enough. And that kind of actually brings me back to what I said about the root chakra before, right? When we were talking about the affirmations for the root chakra. Let's see where it was. One of those affirmations really sticks out with what you just said right here. I'm here and I'm real. Like, yeah, there are women out there who are here and we're real and this is what we're doing, right? We're not trying to hustle and live like a man. We already have men. We don't need to do that. So just a bit right there. Okay, we've got about 12 minutes left. Um... Let's see what else we can talk about. Oh, here's something. Let's see. Um, let's see if I can go through all this information in just this small amount of time. Yeah, I think I can. Let's see. Um, here we go. Hmm. Okay, I think I'll go for this topic. Uh, this was just kind of like a really ridiculous article about these, quote, sexual wellness trends. And of course, they're promoting it that they're excited about this. This is just some Zio Sludge. Just wanted to give an idea of just the paradigm that, you know, we living in the normal world and then all this, this crap that they're promoting out there. This was actually kind of funny. So now they're making... This is when I saw this, I was like, what the fuck is this? They're making something. They're making a scrotal lubricant. Am I reading this correctly? Ballsy, all the feels lubricant. Who even knows what's in these lubes? I don't understand the obsession with these synthetic lubes. Why wouldn't someone just use ghee or coconut oil or... 
wow there's a whole website this is in, this is ridiculous this is just such a sign of the time of like zog marketing they have this entire website called ballsy and it's all products for the testicles testicle wash testicle deodorant testicle cream nut rub which is a cologne for your scrotum oh my god <laughs> What's wrong with the world? This is insane. Sack spray? Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what people are wasting their money on these days. But I guess that's what you need that second income for, right? For buying ridiculous shit like this. But this is the type of crap that they're selling people. Imagine that. Imagine that you actually spent $15 on a cologne to rub on your testicles. Oh, man. Sack spray. I mean, you can just use a little bit of soap. Like, you could just use a little bit of tallow or lard-based soap. You don't need to do this type of stuff. But I thought I'd heard it all. And then I see that there's a product for uh, something called Nut Rub, which is a cologne that you put on your scrotum. It's a natural cologne. But... Ugh, this is so gross. Why would you need that area of your body to be scented? Oh my god. I just I just don't get it. Like Like do men have like um insecurity issues about their scrotum smelling? I don't really I don't really know how that works, but just, that is just so... Oh, it's got poofas in it, too. That's amazing. So you can rub sunflower seed oil and essential oils on your scrotum. Apparently, over 1,200 people like it, unless... No, actually, there's some negative reviews that people really don't like it. Um, wow. I guess you could really sell anything in 2022. Now they're promoting all these CBD and cannabis products to get people horny. That's a sign of the times, I think, right? I mean... I think oftentimes just living in this society that's so, gosh, so degenerate can just really just futz or you know, fiddle with people's like libido and just sexual expression and just. So this has CBD. This is a CBD patch that you wear to, I guess, get your sex drive going. Um, okay. And then they have this other thing, this flower spray that you're supposed to spray. I don't, I don't know where you're supposed to. Oh, it's a cannabis spray for your clam or your vagina or something? I don't know. Maybe it is. It's called sleepover spray. CBD and ginkgo biloba stimulate. Hyaluronic acid helps with moisture retention. Just use some ghee. Make yourself a ghee massage for your yoni. You don't need to do this $98 for some ridiculous pussy spray. This is, this is incredibly stupid. I just can't believe the crap people actually buy with their money. Oh, my God. You buy, buy a half a cow or a half a hog. Now they're making these CBD pre-rolls. I think CBD is, is hype, to be honest with you. I don't know. Kind of ridiculous. What else are they making? Personal wash, some personal yoni wash, $75 for a personal yoni wash. Uh, you could just use water or you could just use a 
bar of tallow soap like I do. And you can steam. Steaming is a really nice way to clean your yoni, by the way. Not just clean it, but help with built up um, blood. You know, if you have stagnation, things like that. Um, steaming is an ancient practice. It's holistic. It um, releases oxytocin, just like after birth or after an intimate bonding sexual session. You don't need to spend money on ridiculous yoni sprays and ball cologne. The craziest thing is that this article was written about sexual wellness launches we're really excited about. I just feel bad that people like are so, I don't know, they're so, they can just, you know, people are just so emotionally swayed, especially when it comes to like the sexual milieu. Oh, this will make my, my balls smell good. You know, this will... And then you just like, they buy it, right? It's just, they really prey on people's like insecurities and lack of confidence. It's, it's, it's really, it's criminal to be honest with you. I just, I don't like this type of stuff. I just thought, of, I just thought I had heard everything besides the idea that there was like a, a scrotum cologne. That's just, that's news to me. Um, crazy. Now they have an article about all these products you need for your tits to make those look good. You've got to buy all these bombs and lubes and everything. Why don't you just massage them with ghee and say positive affirmations or have your partner massage them or eat real food like liver? Nope, that's too much work. I'll just spray this ridiculous expensive thing on it, on them. Yeah, just, that's just mind soggling. Wow. <laughs> oh my God, just take a shower, Pippany said. Nothing good is in that shit, 64 Aaron is saying. Just more shit to market to the Zog Nation. I give my dog CBD for anxiety, high winds, and fireworks. Yeah, I can understand it for stuff like that. But if someone's, like, spraying it on their, like, vagina or penis, like, I just, I don't know. It just seems like they're kind of just compartmentalizing. I don't know. It just, I feel like there's always got to be a certain way that something can be used in more of a, a, a normal, for lack of a better word, normal or, or typical way but then they just blow it out of proportion. It's like everything else. It's like, okay, have a beer. No, you've got to have this super duper hopped beer, right? Or these super duper high strains of THC. You know, it's like they've taken everything and they put it on steroids. It's not better that way. It's actually was, things were way better the way they were, you know, before they were messed with so much. I think that's one of the things that they're actually doing with the whole ganja industry is making these very, very high, THC strains, which are definitely not land race, they're all miscegenated, and then we get all this docility in society. So, wow, just it's so many things just zoggle the mind to just absolute intensity, and that was that was part of it. The whole this whole trend of quote sexual wellness products, it's really just a scam to get money from people and prey prey on people who just I guess are lacking confidence in that milieu. Maybe they're young. Like imagine like maybe some young guys or gals are going to go on those sites and think, oh, I need this spray for my yoni or, oh, I need this, you need this, this testicle, you know, cologne. You know, I don't want to, otherwise women aren't going to want to hang out with me. Like, I mean, I would be less likely to want to hang out with someone who did use a product like that, right? It's, first of all, it's not going to smell natural, but they really prey on people. Here's another ridiculous um, thing that's going on in the quote sexual wellness world so now 
they're giving injections. I'm not sure what's in the injection, maybe similar to the stuff that they do for other areas for, you know, like um, cosmetic injections. So now they're giving injections like right in that area where like you have like your bikini line where it's like the top of your thigh, like the kind of like that groin area. I guess as you get older, you get kind of like wrinkly there or the skin kind of folds. I, I don't know. But now they're, quote, preventing wrinkles down south by injecting something into this crease area like the bikini line. Who knows what's in this? Like this is all under the header of, of sexual wellness. It's they're called oh it's collagen vagina adjacent collagen injections. That's what we need that second income for, right? <laughs> oh gosh, that's mind zoggling, mind zoggling. This is actually really crazy too. Um, the the whole quote feminine wash yoni oil vagina serum like that whole sexual wellness thing here's some here's some oil for your yoni here's some special wash for your yoni this is a 100 billion dollar industry holy shit right i mean wow all of these products i mean and, and all the time it's just a couple of simple ingredients like i said get some ghee get some coconut oil i took ghee and coconut oil I put it in a slow cooker with some organic rose petals and a vanilla bean. Boom. I've got my own yoni massage lotion, breast massage lotion, face lotion, neck lotion, hand lotion, body lotion, leg lotion, foot lotion, hand lotion. What did it cost me? Just a little bit of money as opposed to, oh, I've got to buy this product. This is just, this is like, I guess this would be sacral chakra abuse, if anything. But yeah, this is a $100 billion, this quote, sexual wellness. This is this is just Skeksis um, tomfoolery right here, preying on the goyim, getting them to use these products for problems that don't matter, not, don't, don't exist actually. Oh gosh, you have a problem, quote, down there. You need to spend $100 on this product, otherwise you're going to have a problem. See, they, they create this psychological problem in people by telling them they have a problem. It's like a form of gaslighting. And then that creates a feeling of inadequacy and self-devaluation, which of course we know from dramatic new medicine causes joint and bone problems. And then they buy like some, I don't know, some ridiculous spray for down there that costs $75. And that's why we need a second income. That's why women can't be housewives anymore because we have to buy these ridiculous products that the Skeksis tell us we need for down there. It all works together and it's not in our favor. This is just so fucking ridiculous. I can't even wrap my head around this, honestly, especially that testicle bomb. I'm still, that testicle cologne. I'm still scratching my head on that one. Wow. I am mind zoggled out. <laughs> Epiphany is saying pure insanity. It is pure insanity. And Ange is saying, hi, hello. It is, it's total zog insanity. And I guess I have maybe a couple of minutes left. I'm at the 201. They usually cut me off at 206. But I think I'm going to go through one more article just really quickly because we're talking about sexual wellness. So I just wanted to mention, I know I've talked about yoni steaming before, but I just wanted to quickly mention that yoni steaming is not just for women in the childbearing year. Typically we think about and we think, oh, that's, you know, that's just something you do like during the years when you, you know, you menstruate and you have your babies. No, it's actually women who have gone post-change who are actually crossed over to menopause 
they can also use vaginal steaming. So I just wanted to share a little bit about how this can help women who have gone through that part of their life. And that is for everyone. It's also like for, actually, I don't know if you would steam before. Can you steam before you've actually gotten your first period? I don't know about that. Um, Cause I only really started doing it like in my thirties, I guess, but you can use this practice if you've gone through the change of life. I just wanted to make that clear for women who might have thought, oh, that's, you know, that's not for me anymore. I've gone, I've gone, you know, I've crossed over. Nope, it's for all women. So here are nine reasons why postmenopausal women love vaginal steaming. So number one, it can get rid of vaginal dryness. It can actually increase lubrication. Steaming once a week is actually recommended to prevent dryness from reoccurring. And you'd want to use a blend of herbs that were cooling. So you could actually buy these herbs already prepackaged, or you can work with like a Yoni um, steam consultant and she could put that together for you. So help with vaginal dryness, which oftentimes can happen with more frequency after menopause. It can also treat phantom period symptoms. So oftentimes after you go through the change, you will still have phantom symptoms like cramping, swollen breasts, PMS, bloating, and other side effects, just not having a period. And of course, it could also happen for women who are in the childbearing years who um, have amenorrhea, which means when they actually don't get a cycle every single month. So you could actually use a blend that cleanses to help with phantom period symptoms. Number three, it can help with infections. You can still get things like UTI, yeast infection, and BV. They're, they're less common postmenopausally, but you still can get them. And you'd want to use a herbal blend that helped with disinfecting. It could also clear up cervical mucus. So if you have like an abundant amount of like cervical mucus uh, coming out of your yoni, it can help with that. So if you had like thick or flaky or green or blood tinted cervical mucus, it can help kind of um, clear that out. It can kind of clear out any um, maybe smell that isn't so wonderful, any stagnation that's happening. It can also help you with sleep. I know it's oftentimes when we get older, I've oftentimes talked to people who are a bit older and they always say, oh, I'm, I'm troubling, I'm having trouble with my sleep. So this can actually help you get a really good night's sleep. I think it's because of the oxytocin that gets released. So if you have difficulty sleeping, even if you're not menopausal, you might want to try yoni steaming um, for sleeping. Something else that it actually may help dissolve ovarian cysts. So that's something else that you may want to use it for that. You'd use cleansing herbs. It also may help dissolve fibroids naturally. You would use cleansing herbs for that as well. It can help connect you to the natural lunar cycle. If you're no longer menstruating, postmenopausal women continue to be connected to the lunar cycle. Steaming your yoni once a month on the full moon can help women tune into their natural cycle and you can use any herbs to do this. I think rose would be especially nice because it has moisturizing properties and it's just a really feminine, beautiful <clears throat> flower. Pardon me. And finally, it wakes up the libido. Vaginal steaming generally, gen, vaginal steamers usually report an overall increase in their libido as well as increased sensation during sex. This is likely because vaginal steaming increases blood flow, lubrication, and heat to the reproductive organs. And one postmenopausal steamer has this to say, I am currently on a sexual hiatus and have not been missing it. I'm almost 50 and believe that the non-interest was just middle age, but baby, I can tell you this steam woke my vagina up. 
I feel like taking random men down who cross my path. LOL. Like I don't even have to know you, sir. Just lay back and enjoy the ride. Well, that's probably just a fantasy. But anyway, as you could see, there are many reasons why a woman of any age would want to do vaginal steaming. Vaginal steaming can help with stagnation, um, uterine fatigue, um, spotting, um, blood clots, which I guess would be a form of, of stagnation. It can help with all different types of um, feminine issues. And it's been something that's been around for thousands of years in literally like every culture or race has a history of doing this. I have my own steam chair. I have all my herbs. I love doing it. Um, it's wonderful. It's a great way to relax. So yeah, um, just some tips out there because I know oftentimes I focus more on women who are pre-menopausal than post-menopausal, but I want to be able to give information for everyone out there who's listening because I know we have people out there who listen who are in all stages of their life. So just a little bit of information here for um, for the, the ladies who are at that point in their life, just some reasons why you might want to get into vaginal steaming. Even if you don't have any like major issues going on, you may just feel more connected to your yoni while you're doing this. You know, forget all the stupid xyosludge sprays and all that garbage. You know, try, try the steaming. Just a little bit there, right? Steam them yonis, 6-4 Arian is saying. <laughs> yeah, you can steam them yonis. And then I want to say one more thing. Um, and then I'm going to end the broadcast. Let's see. I have a little quote right here that I just wanted to share. Where is it? I think I just um, I just saw it and then I just lost it. Oh, I think it's at the top, actually. Here we go. I just want to leave and end this broadcast with this groovy sentiment that I saw the other day whilst I was on Telegram. And it was just some positivity. You know, positivity is, is always a good thing, right? And it was, it was geared towards the week of July 1 through 7, today being the 6th. It's appropriate. There is a boost of energy during this time where you may have a deep desire for freedom and be inspired to reach out beyond your comfort into new levels of insight and personal growth. There is motivation during this time to be disciplined, to commit to something you know will support you and give you inner strength. Be inspired to focus on the home environment and family or what you consider your home and family or tribe. Take some time to be in cooperation, communication, play, and creative exchange. Balance this with plenty of alone time to listen to your own truth about what you need to support and nurture your self-care. Just a bit right there to close out the show. So I think we'll end the show right now. This has been Summer Sexy. I am your host, Tabitha. Please be sure to catch all the broadcasts on White Wellness Radio. Follow me on Telegram and Patreon. I'm wishing everyone a wonderful Wednesday. And we will be connecting again soon. Satnam. So,